Residential Lighting Specialist to Arthur Residential Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. This week, Dave Nauber joins us from Connecticut, where he is Director of Brand for Sound United's Class A Audio product line. Founded in 1980, Class A Audio manufactures a suite of high-fidelity amplifiers, pre-amplifier processors, and integrated amplifiers for movie and music enthusiasts. Prior to the brand's acquisition from Bowers and Wilkins, Dave was president of Class A Audio, having earned that role after serving as executive VP of brand development after joining the company back in 2002. He's here today to help us learn a little bit more about the amplifier category in general, and more specifically, Class A Audio's new Delta series. Dave Nauber, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. I'm super happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I see, uh, looking at your background, that you're a University of Illinois graduate. Did you, uh, like me, grow up in the Midwest? I did. Um, I was born and raised in Quincy, Illinois. Quincy is um, what we call downstate Illinois, so it's in the westernmost part of the state on the Mississippi River. If you look at the state, how it kind of bows out uh, to the west, that's where Quincy is. And um, yeah, I went to school at the University of Illinois. Um, I earned a an engineering degree. Uh, it's um, a general engineering degree with an electrical engineering secondary field. So that led to audio how? Because that's not always the, the pathway to audio. Well, um, really, I'd say audio led to that. So uh, I was interested in audio since being a teenager. Uh, instead of buying a car, I borrowed money from my parents and bought hi-fi equipment. <laughs> and then uh, when I, I thought I, I would like to be, I, I understood technology pretty well and, and uh, did well in school. And I thought being an engineer would be a way to be somehow involved in, in audio potentially. But um, uh, when I got to school, I found that there were audio stores that had equipment that was at a much higher level than I even knew existed. And um, so I was listening to some really fabulous products and thinking it was just the coolest stuff. And um, <clears throat> one day I went to uh, what was the best store in town. And uh, I was waiting outside for the doors to open for a sale uh, because I wanted to get a component um, on sale. <laughs> and the guy who managed the store, he he opened the door and he asked me what I was looking for. And I told him and um, and then uh, I just on impulse, I just said, by the way, is there any chance you'd need any summer help? And I, it just showed that I had no idea how the audio business worked, how it was slow in the summer and <laughs> busy in the winter. He chuckled. <laughs> right. He chuckled and he said, um, well, actually, we could maybe use a little help, you know, now. So um, so he invited me to come to work on a Tuesday evening. Uh, which I did, and I loved it. And he said, could you come back on Thursday? And I did that. It was uh, it was great. How about Saturday? <laughs> and then from that point on, I worked almost every day. And um, at the same time, I was, a, uh, I was a bartender and a doorman at a very um, popular campus bar, uh, the kind of place where all your friends think that's the coolest job ever. Um, and for about two weeks, it was really cool. And then it was a job. It was like, oh, I got to go to work tonight. But um, I realized after about six months that there hadn't been a single day that I didn't look forward to going into work at the store. Mm -hmm. And um, at the same time, I was thinking to myself that I was not going to be a great engineer. And I was, <laughs> I was sitting in classrooms with guys who were probably going to be really great engineers, guys and women. And uh, um, in fact, for my... Um, senior project, uh, a small group of us did this project and I did all of the writing and I did all the presenting of the project. So I understood exactly what was going on, but I wasn't the best person to actually do that, do the, the engineering part of it. Um, <clears throat> so there's a thread of consistency throughout, you, you can see here. And, and when I graduated, um, I was looking at IBM, uh, Harris Semiconductor, uh, even Quaker Oats. Hmm. And um, uh, the person who had hired me had gone on to become the 
marketing director for Madrigal Audio Labs, which at the time was the manufacturer of Mark Levinson. Yeah. And also the importer of Meridian and Accuphase and Cabas and Jadis and Lerneo, you know, various, various brands. And I just thought to myself, you know, um, an engineering path is probably not going to be the happiest path of, of life for me, but um, I love audio. I'm young. Let me give it a shot. <laughs> and so here I am, whatever it is, 35 years later, 36 years later, I'm, I've, I've only moved on to my uh, second job as an adult. So I was with Madrigal for um, something like 16 and a half years and then uh, moved on to Class A, in, as you mentioned earlier, in 2002. And um, so, yeah, it's been for me, it's been just a terrific uh, career path. So when you transitioned from college into your first uh, out of college job at Madrigal, what does a, a guy that's not really much of an engineer, but loves high end audio do for that first role? How do you make that? I move? was I was a, a regional manager, a Midwest regional manager. Um, so. I got to do more or less the same thing that I'd been doing at the store, which was I got to interact with a lot of different people. Um, I could translate some things about the technology to help them understand what made our products better or different from other people's products. Um, and I got to listen to music through some of the best hi-fi systems in the world. Um, so the kinds of products I was associated with, I was very proud of the kind of product. And also, um, it was a, you know, just such an enjoyable thing to be involved with. So, um, so I never really found a good reason to move on. Um, I, uh, um, I drove a Volvo station wagon around 20 state territory. Uh, it was packed full of hi-fi equipment. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was, a in retrospect, really a, a fun time. Yeah. And then in 2002, you end up at Class A, um, a, a Montreal-based company. Uh, what what was that? Um, how did that connection occur? Well, um, every year we would do a uh, an analysis for the, the upcoming budget year. And um, one of the elements we would include in that was the top three competitors um, and sort of an evaluation of where they were, what they were doing and how we were going to be different and better. And for the first time ever uh, in 2000, in the winter of like February of 2002, I included Class A on my list of three top three competitors. And the reason was because Joe Atkins, the chairman of Bowers and Wilkins, Bowers and Wilkins had gotten involved with Class A. And I knew that if Joe was involved, uh, they would be doing something serious. And uh, little did I know that I'd be uh, be a part of that. But at the time, I just thought, you know, they've got this distribution arrangement and something's going on there. So I think they're, we got to keep our eye on Class A. And so a couple of months later, I got a call from Joe and uh, he he's he explained how they were involved with uh, class a which i knew and 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 how he was looking for this uh, succession um plan person and at the time i was extremely i'm always i'm a very loyal guy and uh, i felt that i had been well treated um by the the um management uh you know the president and ceo uh at at madrigal uh, mark glazier and phil muzio and I thought um, that even though things at that time we had been purchased by Harmon and, and there were going to be some changes, I thought, um, and by the way, there, there was, we'd purchased by Harmon and then some years later, there were going to be some changes that didn't happen. Uh, uh, one, one didn't immediately cause the other, but, but there were some changes uh, about to happen. And I thought um, uh, it's a challenging time, but I, I, uh, I, I just don't want to leave, you know, what I think we, you know, what we built here. I don't want to leave that. And so I said, thanks, but no thanks. And then uh, about a month later, um, we had a meeting and there was a reorganization happening. And uh, although I was going to be promoted, um, there were other things happening that I thought, well, this is just not going to work. So I called Joe and I said, have you hired anybody for that, <laughs> that class A job? And, and he said, no. Uh, so 
I got together with him and with Mike Vigliss, who is the f- uh, co-founder of, um, of Class A. We had a meeting in Montreal. And um, I had never met Joe before, uh, nor Mike. And uh, I just thought these were the these were like the coolest guys. They were, they were just like, um, they were serious, but they were fun. Hmm. It's a really interesting combination. And, um, and then Joe made me a terrific offer and it was, it was, uh, done in a way that I, it, it really had no downside. So I felt like I wasn't really taking any, any risk. So I made the move and, and didn't look back. It was a, it was a good, good move for me. Well, as you join that company and the company that you're with now, of course, the brand you're with, uh, what did you know about the history going back to 1980 and the founding? I know that's uh, one of those little, <laughs> the, the, those foundation stories are interesting. Um, I heard a little bit about it um, from a conversation that you posted a, a year ago with Phil Jones introducing the brand uh, with the Sound United connection. Um, and also yeah. on your website, there's a nice little write-up. Can you give yeah. that background around 1980? Sure. Um, well, of course, I wasn't there, so I, I heard yeah. the story from from uh, Mike Vigliss. So Mike was a Greek immigrant, and and I really, really wish I could do impersonations because oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> if I could tell the story with uh, with his accent, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it would it would be much funnier, but. But um, Mike was an entrepreneur. He'd made um, uh, his fortune in the trucking business. He was the world's largest Ford truck dealer for something like six years running. Um, And uh, he owned a hotel in Florida. Um, So he spent his winters in Florida, as you would if you've got the money and you're Canadian. Um, And he was an audiophile. So he had uh, high-end systems in Florida and in Montreal. And um, up until that point, he had been a, a tube lover. So his, he, you know, he, he'd been a big fan of, of vacuum tube amplifiers. And um, they were, in those days, less reliable than they are today. And, um, and he, he told a story, which, again, if I could... If I could do it with all of his gestures also, it would be quite good. But the, the, the bottom line is what happened was the amplifier exploded. And um, he, was, he was talking about how the, the people were pulling um, capacitor wadding out of their hair. <laughs> Maybe that was an exaggeration, but it, right. helps, kind of, it helps you kind of picture the, the, the scene, you know, very smoky in the room. Sure. And, uh, and everybody knew that, that his, his stereo system was crazy expensive. Okay. And, uh, and so he just was totally embarrassed by that. <laughs> and um, there was a dealer that that um, knew of this guy David Reach, who was um, uh, a designer making some amplifiers locally under the name Ellison. And so he introduced Mike to David, and and Mike really liked David a lot. And um, uh, he was making this little Class A amplifier, so Class A with the letter A, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, just 25 watt per channel stereo amplifier. And Mike just thought it sounded amazing. So here was this tube lover who experienced for the first time, a, a properly designed, um, a solid state class a amplifier. And mm-hmm. he fell in love with it. And of course the, the notion of being able to get a solid state product that sounded wonderful and would be reliable. Um, it really was, uh, that was the thing he was looking for. So shortly thereafter, he decided that, um, he could invest a little money and uh, they could turn it into like what he would call a real company. So they um, took an industrial space and they started to, to manufacture under the name Class A. So with an accent on the E, mm-hmm. um, the name actually reminds you that it started as a, a company that was using Class A topologies, but also it reminds you of the French Canadian heritage of the brand. Yeah. And I have, I'm not an audiophile. Uh, I've covered the audio business for a long time now. And uh, I, I know the class A, class B uh, uh, categories, the class AB. Um, but for those who maybe not so familiar with what the differences are and why class A is a class A oriented brand, uh, could you just give us a little 
overview of that. You don't have to go into deep, deep de technical details, but just what the main <laughs> ideas are behind those designations. So you want me to leave the whiteboard? <laughs> yeah, That's I know you don't really want to go there because <laughs> that engineering stuff never really yeah, sunk yeah, in. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, just so what what are the characteristics of those different designations? Well, the um, the technical difference between a class A amplifier and a class B amplifier, or even an AB amplifier, is that um, class A amplifier has no uh, crossover distortion. Um, crossover distortion is what happens when the signal is going between the between being plus and minus. So let me just back up a second and say, if you just picture a loudspeaker um, sitting at rest, um, and then you start to apply an audio signal to it, um, when the signal is plus, the cone is moving out away from the box. And when it's minus, it's moving from the rest position behind the okay. box. So plus is everything on the outside of the rest position and minus is everything on the internal box side of the rest position. And so the signal obviously goes back and forth between plus and minus. Um, a conventional amplifier is what's designed in, in, in a, a form called push-pull. And so you can think of it as pushing and pulling that, that driver back and forth, the speaker back and forth. And um, if we've got time, I'll give you two quick analogies that may help sure. uh, somebody understand it. Um, so in a push-pull amplifier, um, think of the, the amp as having a plus side and a minus side. Uh, one's for the plus part of the wave and one's for the minus side of the wave. And, and if, if you can kind of picture the, the plus and minus halves of the amplifier, both grabbing the um, speaker and, and pulling and pushing it back and forth throughout its entire excursion, um, that's what a class A amplifier does. Um, what a class B amplifier does is it has the plus half of the amp pull the speaker, push, uh, push the speaker away from the, the box and then come back to the rest position and then tell the minus side of the amp to pull it into the box. Okay. And so this, this, the two halves of the amplifier are totally independent of each other. And by virtue of the way that the, um, the parts work, the transistors work, there's this period of time where um, uh, the, that handover, let's say, that, that, that um, uh, transition from plus to minus, mm -hmm. um, it, it can't be done smoothly. So there's a like think of it as just sort of stopping and then starting again, stopping mm -hmm. and starting again. That's crossover distortion. Okay. If you uh, if you have a class AB amplifier, what it is is it's it's um, minimizing the crossover distortion, not eliminating, but minimizing by by continuing the pushing and pulling past the zero point. So there's a small port in the middle around the zero point where it's actually in class A. Both mm -hmm. both sides of the amplifier are pushing and pulling. Um, all, all audio amplifier designs that are um, not Class A are built to try to um, all hi-fi amplifier designs that are not Class A uh, are designed to try to sound as close to Class A as they can but to do it with more efficiency. Mm -hmm. And so that's what a class AB amplifier is. is it's, a, is it's an efficient enough way to sort of sound like class A, but not sound terrible like a class B amp would with this huge <laughs> amount of distortion. Okay. So that's one analogy is if you think of this pushing and pulling, I, I, I kind of imagine it like people on the both ends of a double-handed saw. Yeah. If, if, if they're both working together like they, nor like they normally would, that's mm -hmm. what a class A amplifier is like, but if um, uh, but if it's a class A or A uh, sorry A B or B, then there's a big part of the cycle where one once one person is pulling or put and pushing all by themselves. Yeah, it's this yeah. transition where the distortion happens. The other analogy is uh, if you could picture uh, how a relay race works: two two runners running around a, a track. Um, a class B amplifier would sort of be like um, when I approach the person who I'm going to give the baton to, 
I have to stop some distance away from them. And they're, they're stopped. I toss the baton to them and then they start running again. <laughs> and if you look at the, the, the smoothness of the speed of the baton, it would not be smooth. That's what the crossover distortion is in a class uh, AB design. It's, it's similar to a conventional relay race where uh, I start running before, you know, the person in front of me stop, starts running before um, I arrive with the baton so that I can hand the baton off more smoothly. And then a class A amplifier would be one where the runners just run side by side all the way around the track and just hand the baton back and forth. So it's the purest form of amplification. It doesn't have any of the, the crossover distortion, but it's also inefficient. So if you can kind of picture two runners running all the way around the track together, they'd get tired, right? It yeah. takes more energy to do that. So uh, anyway, so the, I, I, hope, I hope some of that made sense. Well, so... You make B sound like it's uh, not so great. What would be the use case for a class B amplifier? Why would you even want that? Um, it's in the absence of class D, which is what actually happens now. If you wanted to make an inexpensive amplifier that didn't generate much heat, that's what you would do. Okay. Um, the downside of class A is it generates more heat because, um, both halves of the amp are constantly working. Okay. Uh, so they're fully, it's, it's called fully biased. Hmm. Um, so in a class B amplifier, um, you wouldn't have that situation and it, and it runs much, much cooler. Okay. And AB uh, is somewhere in between. All right. Well, I want to continue this conversation. We're going to get into, uh, actual products, the, uh, that result from this technology. And, uh, but first, uh, we need to take a short break. For 25 years, Leon has been dedicated to creating innovative products that mix art with audio and design with technology. Knowing that technology is an integral part of modern interior design, Leon's collection of customizable speakers and technology concealment solutions is designed to deliver both sound and style to any space. From signature soundbars that seamlessly blend in with the display to art and frames that turn your TV into a work of art, Leon's products are built to order and handcrafted just for you to ensure a perfect match every time. Visit www.leonspeakers.com to learn more. Welcome back. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, and I'm talking with Dave Naber, Director of Brand for Sound United's Class A Audio. Uh, Dave, we, we got into uh, a long conversation there about uh, Class A and Class B and Class A, B, and D. Um, so I, wa I wanted to kind of go back to um, what you think Class A as a company with the accent, not the Class A technology, uh, amplification technology, uh, what has been uh, the the thing that set it apart as a company, besides the fact that you use Class A uh, amplification, obviously, and um, there's a purity to that. Um, what has set it apart as a brand, as an amplifier brand, um, throughout the years and maybe prior to the Sound United purchase, just to sort of give background as opposed to current day? I think that we have... Um uh, we've been an audio design company. So, so think of it as like engineering driven or engineering led. We've been, we've been building products with a very open mind. I think that there are a lot of high-end companies that have, uh, they have a single idea and then they kind of flog that idea forever. Um, and maybe it does get better and better, but they don't ever stop and say, is this the right way to do it? Or is this the best way to do it? Um, and that doesn't always have to apply to the audio circuitry. So I'll give you one example, which was that at the beginning of the Delta series design project in the early 2000s, um, we were considering how best to control the product. And um, the idea was that we, we were going to have a screen on the front so we could show um, video like on a surround processor you would be able to show the the, the video of the signal coming through and we thought we sh would want to be able to use that screen for control and so the first idea was that you had the screen and you had buttons along the side and I looked at it and I said you know it just looks a bit like an ATM <laughs> and uh, 
And so uh, one of the engineers, uh, he said, well, why don't we make it a touchscreen? And I said, well, isn't that expensive? And he lied and he said, no. <laughs> and so, so we went down this path of designing products with touchscreen control. Um, in the end, the engineer actually turned out to be kind of right because it meant once we had the touchscreen designed, we were, um, we were reusing that same piece of hardware and much of the software over and over. And so over time, it became less expensive than designing a completely new faceplate with all independent buttons and so on, the way most products are, are built. Um, so it was actually a great idea, but um, it showed a couple of things. Our, our willingness to try something new. Uh, we were the first audio company to use touchscreen control. Hmm. Um, we, we were, um, uh, we were well in advance of the iPod touch, for example. So, uh, the benefits of having a touchscreen are that you can, um, take your best guess at how to build the interface so that it's simple and easy to use and useful. Um, but you don't really know how it's going to work until you get it into the market and people react to it. And, um, the benefit of the touchscreen is that once people react to it, you can refine it. You can mm -hmm. say, well, I like, uh, uh, I would like it to do this, or I would like it to let me do something different. And in a conventional product, you need a different faceplate because uh, it's all buttons that are hard, or it's really cryptic and hard to use because you, you don't know what you're choosing up and down buttons and stuff like that. Sure. So um, with the touchscreen, we can just redesign it and uh, load new software into the product. And as long as the hardware can support whatever new thing we want to try, um, away we go. So, sure. uh, so this, the, the touchscreen was a, an, uh, an innovative solution at the time. Now it's just seen as a pretty common thing, but we were the first ones to do it. And I think it just showed an example of how we were always looking to make a better product. And mm -hmm. that, that means, that means everything, not just how it sounds. Um, We've also experimented with different, not just experimented, we've developed in a very serious way different things. We've done multi-channel, uh, which is something that a lot of high-end audio companies don't want to touch. Right. It's super complicated uh, and expensive to develop. So uh, we've taken our chances there and we, you know, we built a surround processor that was the most popular product ever from the Class A brand. It was a multi-channel processor. Um, so we, we had, in other words, we had success in the multi-channel range. Mm -hmm. uh, we also developed class D amplifiers. Um, the, the easy thing is to just keep building the kind of amp you've always built. Um, I always thought, you know, it, I, I didn't want to wake up one morning and have some company have developed, find out that some company had, had developed a class D amplifier that sounded as good or better than our class A amplifier somehow. Um, and yet it was smaller and lighter and, and more efficient and cooler and all that. And so I thought, you know, we really ought to really understand that technology and mm -hmm. we ought to see if we can be the first ones to build that, that kind of amplifier. And what we found was that you could build, we found you could build a class A, um, a class D amplifier that was um, uh, performing at a very, very high level, but not, not like the highest level. And, um, and the type of design was such that if you tried to simplify it and make it less expensive, it was a bit like a house of cards. It would just fall apart. So there was a kind of a sweet spot for us with class D that at a certain price, it was better than class AB amplifiers, all the competition, all the linear amplifiers. But mm -hmm. if you wanted to spend more money, like we're doing today, you could get better performance. And if you wanted to spend less money, you could get better performance from linear amplifiers. Okay. So uh, anyway, it was very helpful to have gone through that whole exercise. We're now in a position as the types of parts that are used for class D uh, continue to evolve. We're in a position that we can actually, um, we can actually implement a class D design in the future. If that's something that, that makes sense. And so now with your acquisition by sound United, uh, that was 2018, correct? 
Yes. Uh, you had been owned by Bowers and Wilkins and that uh, afforded, I guess, a different manufacturing um, scenario uh, during that time, which is your entire t history with the company. Bowers and Wilkins was involved. But yeah. um, what, what, what changed uh, from a ca capability standpoint with the uh, acquisition from Sound United? Do you, do you feel like so far that you've, you've experienced what, what has it uh, improved for the company? Well, it's a, uh, it's kind of a long subject. So I'll just, I'll, I'll hit what I think of as the highlights. Um, when I joined the company, we were building product in Montreal. Uh, as Bowers and Wilkins was acquiring the company, they were looking at um, the plans we had, the, the volume that we needed. We needed more space than we had. And um, Joe was looking around saying, well, you know, we have capacity at our facility in China. Hmm. So um, despite the, um, the negative connotations on the marketing side, we said, okay, well, we'll move our manufacturing to China and we'll just have to deal with what that means. So we had to look, look through um, how to deal with manufacturing something on the other side of the world. Right. And uh, that was a pretty big challenge for a small company like ours. But I, I'll tell you, um, it really forced us to make a better product. And the reason was that uh, we couldn't just walk down the hallway and fix something on the production floor. Mm -hmm. um, we couldn't just answer a question. We had to build a product, as they say, um, designed for manufacture. This was truly, it had to be designed so that um, it would go together in a way that was very uniform. Hmm. Every single unit was exactly like every other unit. And it comes then to a very easy pass fail. It either works or it doesn't work. It either <laughs> does all the stuff it's supposed to do or it doesn't. So that was really for us um, uh, a big step in the quality of the product. Um, uh, it's, you can think of it as the craftsmanship moving from the production floor where people were making decisions about how to do something it was moving up upstream to the design uh, lab. Sure. Once uh, we were acquired by Sound United, we went to a different level. When 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 we went uh, first to China, we were in the Bowers and Wilkins uh, factory, and so you could kind of think of us as teaching them how to build electronics. Hmm. Whereas when <laughs> when you go to Shirakawa, uh, this is the one one of the most advanced uh, uh, audio manufacturing facilities in the world. So um, we didn't have to teach them anything. Uh, we had to figure out what it is they needed from us on the design side, so that they could design the uh, build the product there in a way that they're used to. So that again, we get the same result. Mm -hmm. They have uh, they have so many. Um, well, they have testing capabilities that we never had before. Okay. So it was, it was possible for us you know, on the pre-production side before we settled on the design um, to, uh, to make sure that the product absolutely was rock solid in every way you can imagine. Trust me, every way <laughs> that you could imagine. And then on the production side, it's a similar kind of story where they have the ability to do the kind of testing that we didn't have before. Um, so, um, we don't have to teach them how to put things together. They know how to do that. It's the, um, it's the testing that, that, um, that's gone into the product, both at the design level and at the manufacturing level that makes the product jump to yet a new, um, I think a new quality level, uh, higher than we've ever uh, experienced before. And I think it's a huge competitive advantage for class A if you compare it to, the the options that are available to other high-end companies they either have to build things locally uh, which means that they have to um uh god forbid build things by hand like i would not want a, a heart monitor built by hand right mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean you you, yeah. you, you, you you want consistency you you yeah. want you want to be able to re you want to be able to reassure the customer that this amplifier sounds exactly like our engineers designed it to sound. It's I liked a, a comment you made. I heard you make a comment, uh, I believe, with your conversation with Phil Jones, where you said 
um, you don't want to just make one great amplifier. You want to make many great amplifiers or something <laughs> to that effect. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's exactly, exactly it. You know, if you, um, if you can't make two amplifiers that are exactly alike, then, then, then your left and right channels won't be exactly alike. It means you, it, it, you effectively can't make one. Um, and, uh, and, and so the consistency is really uh, a very important uh, part of delivering what I think you have to deliver. Well, it's interesting that you you started obviously with BMW Bowers and Wilkins. I'll say it out the full name. Um, then you uh, separate from Bowers and Wilkins, and then they're reacquired by Sound or they're acquired by Sound United after you acquired by Sound United. Has, has that been uh, interesting to reacquaint <laughs> with that brand, or is there any synergy there at all now that it's a oh, Sound there's United? a huge amount of yeah, huge amount of synergy. The the um, uh, the amplifiers that we manufacture today were literally designed with the previous generation 800 series and the and the load that they the new generation of 800 represents to the amplifier is very similar so there mm-hmm. the amplifier doesn't really even know that it's hooked up to a different speaker mm-hmm. but um it was a the process was good for us because um it it led to an amplifier that I think is better able to drive any speaker, no matter what it is. So I I think we have a more universal amplifier design. Now it is more expensive. So if you want an amp that that will drive anything, then it is going to cost a little more if you want Mm -hmm. it to be at this quality level. But, um, but I think we owe that to the fact that we were using 800 series speakers in the development Mm -hmm. of the, of the amplifier in the first place. Um, Plus, it's been you know a little bit like old home, home week. Not all the same people are there uh, as uh, as were there when I was there last, um, but there are still enough of them that it's uh, it's great to, to to be reacquainted and to actually have a again a working relationship with those guys. So uh, it's it's been fun. So as you uh, work to create the new de- new Delta series, what has changed in amplifier technology or manufacturing capabilities that you were able to implement what 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 is the new delta series versus the old delta series and from a design standpoint um from a design standpoint we've done a couple of things one is we have uh um i don't want to be too technical here um we've optimized this the amplifiers to drive low impedance loads more effortlessly than before um we have spent more money (laughs) <laughs> which is, it doesn't sound like a high tech thing, but it, <laughs> but it is related. So I'll, I'll give you one example. Um, you, you build a power supply and the power supply has to deliver energy to the, to the um, uh, amplifier circuits and the speakers. Um, and with music, that energy can demand can happen um, very quickly. You can, you need to have a lot of energy for a really short period of time. And, um, and so the way that the amp can pull power out of the um, power supply uh, is that's an important consideration in the design. And if you kind of imagine that you've pulled power out of the power supply, you also have to put power back into the power supply so that it's ready for that next beat. Sure. And uh, we use some capacitors from a German company called Mundorf um, that are designed uh, in a way they're called four pole capacitors. And basically what it, what it means is that we're able to pull energy out more quickly and we're able to refill that energy more quickly so that the power supply always feels like it's this big, limitless, perfect supply of power to the audio circuits. Um, they cost a lot more money than mm. the types of caps that we used previously. But in the end, that's a result you get. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's really worth it. We've also refined the, um, the cooling tunnel. We have something that we call the IC tunnel, um, intelligent cooling tunnel. I think it's a very clever name. I thought of it myself. Um, <laughs> you know, icy like cold. So you're mm-hmm. pretty good. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, it's uh, it's active cooling, and we introduced it in the last generation, but we re- refined it in this generation. And the reason it's important, a lot of people I think misunderstand the, the purpose. Um, 
they uh, a lot of people think that the reason you have active cooling is to give more installation flexibility. You can put a um, such an amplifier into an equipment rack and, and stack other amps right on top of it. And you don't have to have all that vertical space for convection cooling. You can put it into a cabinet. As long as you have a place for the warm air to go, it works perfectly in very confined spaces. Hmm. But that's like the maybe the third or fourth benefit. Um, the primary benefit, uh, speaking as an audiophile, the primary benefit is that it allows us to control the temperature. Um, there are thousands of parts inside of an amplifier. And if you were to look at the spec sheet or the data sheet of a given part, like a capacitor or a transistor, typically you see something that has its rating or its performance versus temperature. And that just tells you that the temperature plays a role in how it works. And if you don't have control of the temperature, it means that there are variations in the performance of all of these different parts and you won't get the consistency of sound. So we were talking of consistency earlier. This is another level. It's taken that consistency from unit to unit and it's saying it from minute to minute. It's saying that that this product is always operating at the same temperature inside and therefore we we have controlled that variable and you're getting the result that we said you should get. Okay. Um, so it's a hugely important thing to be able to control temperature. If your room is warm, if your room is cool, it doesn't really matter because we're always monitoring the temperature, controlling the speed of the fan so that, um, it spins at the right RPM to deliver that temperature, that operating temperature. Okay. Um, another, another benefit is that the, um, the temperature of electronic components is a big determining factor in their longevity. Mm -hmm. So the mean time between failure increases dramatically if the, if the parts work at a lower temperature. So um, by, by not allowing the parts to get too hot, um, we extend the life of the products um, by many, many, many years. By, in some cases, probably it'll be in the, it measured in decades. Wow. So a huge difference in the life expectancy. Okay. And then, you know, then you get to things like um, uh, installation flexibility after that. So what all encompasses the new Delta series? What do you have in the line? Uh, I know that uh, Class A doesn't have a ton of SKUs. So what, what, <laughs> yeah. what, did, what did you put well, in the Delta series? Our, uh, our um, plan, even long, long, long term is not to build this into a line of 20 or 30 or 50 products. Um, we want to have a very select group, um, have each model in that group represent the expression uh, of that type of product in that category. So one mono amplifier, one stereo amplifier, one stereo preamplifier. That's what we have today. The stereo preamp has digital capabilities. So it's got, it can do streaming and USB, you know, computer connections, as well as it has an internal phono stage. So it's a full function, all in preamp. Um, that will be up, upgraded uh, and you'll be able to buy an upgrade kit to, to update yours if you, if you have uh, the current one. Mm. Um, but, uh, those are the three models that we have today. Okay. We, we are, and they're one of the reasons there are only three and not uh, uh, others at the moment is because these products take a very long time to develop. These are not, these are not versions of the last models we made. We didn't just go in and change a couple things. We actually did a new ground up design. So, um, uh, so the development times are long. Uh, next, we will have a five-channel power amp called the Delta Cinema. Uh, we'll follow that with a Delta ISP, with, which is an immersive sound processor. And then we, we will have a stereo integrated amplifier. And then I can't talk about what we'll have beyond that. But, um, but anyway, that, it'll take us a while to, to get those into the market. But those are what's coming next. So I'd, I'd love to have you, you know, say how long that's going to take. But before I do, um, you, you were hit with the pandemic right when you were releasing the Delta series. So did that um, 
affect you uh, for a while? Or were you able to then pick up on the trends that came out of the pandemic, which was a lot of investment in the home uh, and, and really a reemergence in some high-end audio and also multi-channel uh, rooms, uh, you know, theaters and that sort of thing. So what, what were some of the, ch- the challenges initially? And then has the supply chain i guess you throw that in there too yeah yeah well we've had yeah so we've had we've had some challenges the first um you know the first of these new delta series products shipped in uh in january of 2020 great (laughs) timing yeah (laughs) yeah so if you were to go back and say could we make it uh probably wouldn't change that timing that'd be about as bad as it could get so it, it was um, it was a challenge because we weren't it, it's not like we had a, a line of products and these were just some new products that came along and we had all this distribution and everything was just going along as normal um, we had not sold products for um, nearly two years um, and so we were effectively starting from scratch with distribution and we Mm -hmm. were starting with some products that were different. So some of our good dealers from the past weren't necessarily the right dealers for the future. And, uh, and so we were effectively starting, um, starting over with distribution and, uh, by being unable to, to take the amplifiers and preamp to the showroom and, and demonstrate it and show what it was all about. Um, it really limited our ability in the in the early stages of the pandemic. It limited our ability to um, to get the product into into the marketplace. Um, over time, uh, over the first let's say after about six months, um, that started to ease up. We started to get more and more ability to go into the stores. Um, from the beginning, we've gotten just amazing reviews. And so a dealer who has confidence in the class A brand and uh, from past experience, let's say, and um, uh, sees a couple of these reviews, they can kind of know that it's a safe bet, right? Mm-hmm. And they may bring the, may, some dealers brought the, the products back in um, essentially because they, they just had faith that it would be good and, and, and it has been. So the distribution started to get built, built back up. And um, we were we were doing actually exceeding all of our expectations through about March last year, and then um, suddenly uh, we were hit with a supply chain problem. First, there was an AKM fire, which uh, we used three AKM chips in the preamp, and and we were able to obtain two of them, but not the third one. So we had to work through that, um, and then uh, uh, then we were out of um, the Munbarf capacitors I mentioned for the amplifiers, mm-hmm. there was a, they just couldn't get the, the raw materials. And we went for a couple of months without being able to build amplifiers. And then there were um, further chip problems. NXP processors that are used in, in cars were unavailable. So we had to redesign a board to take a different NXP chip that, uh, that had a feature we didn't need. Um, but, but still it was, you know, possible to get back in production. Um, and then there have been other things. We've been paying, in some cases, 20 times um, the the normal price of a chip just to have the, the part to be able to continue production. Wow. Um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been, excuse me a sec. It's, it's been, uh, it's been a challenge. And so those, those challenges continue. The, um, uh, the, part shortages uh, have gone uh, across the board. So it's not just chips. We've been short resistors, uh, capacitors. Um, as you can imagine, we don't use the same parts that are used in Denon and Marantz, at least not generally so. So we have more, just more, um, uh, what's the right word? <laughs> we just have uh, parts that come from smaller companies or companies that are things that are made in smaller batches and they're just harder to get sometimes. Yeah. And, uh, and as you can imagine, you can't just substitute any capacitor with that value. You can't just pop it in there, um, and get the same result. So, um, so we have, we have to work very hard to try to come up with the parts. So it's been a real challenge that continues to, uh, to be a problem for us. Um, we've been making, uh, products and we've been shipping products. Um, but, uh, 
but it's not without a huge amount of effort. So uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a challenge all along. Um, it, as far as the uh, there, there are various things. There's, a, I think, a kind of a flight to quality. There's, uh, um, there's definitely people who are spending more money on um, things for their home, which include audio systems. Um, I think all those things benefit us because they benefit our dealers. Sure. So, um, so the dealers are very, um, very active today. They're doing pretty well. Um, and then, you know, they're they're ordering Class A. They're waiting in some cases uh, a while to get it. Um, but, but they do eventually get it. And, um, uh, so yeah, it, it, who knows how long that'll last. Um, right. there are clearly a lot of, uh, a lot of headwinds there, but, um, but we're doing everything we can to keep building products. Well, it, it sounds like you need to really focus on manufacturing what you've got designed and are, are creating rather than worry too much about the multi-channel stuff that's coming up ahead. But, uh, you have to do both, right? You have to eat. Yeah, and, or you got to walk and chew gum at the <laughs> same time. That's that's uh, <laughs> that's a uh, it's a very astute observation. That is, and that's I would say if you would ask what is the biggest problem that today for us, it's um, it's continuing the pace of development of these new models while chasing down all of the things that have to be done in order to keep product uh, in production. Um, so it's a uh, yeah, it's a real challenge. Well, being with a bigger company like Sound United, I would imagine has some of it takes a little stress off at least um, from a logistical standpoint. But no, no one has it as easy these days, no well, matter how big you are. That's it's uh, it's absolutely true. But it but it, it's it's undeniable that if um, if you have a big customer like Sound United um, who who may buy X number of these parts, and you need y number of these other parts <laughs> you know just a small they just you know t- it's a small amount it's hundreds thousands yeah. um there's a certain kind of leverage that you that we now can uh can get um that we never would have had before so uh yeah so it's a huge uh, huge advantage there well, I, I feel like we've we've talked a long time. We could probably keep talking. There's a lot, lot that we didn't cover, but I, I appreciate your time, Dave. Uh, it's great great chatting with you. It was uh, really insightful and enjoyable. Well, I had a great time as well. Um, uh, I look forward to talking again. Good to see you. Dave Nauber is Director of Brand for Sound United's Class A Audio. You can learn more about his uh, Class A products at classaaudio.com. And that wraps up today's show. If you're new to Residential Tech Talks, please subscribe to the weekly podcast and consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Also, check out all the latest residential tech news at the magazine's website, restechtoday.com, where you can also subscribe to the bi-monthly print or digital magazine and to our Tuesday and Friday email newsletters. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell. Residential Home automation device. 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 Home automation device.